my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict iron jaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That that way. Way. Blank is the killer. Happy holidays, you filthy animals, and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your jolly host, Josh Baker, cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky seventh topic at the end. This episode contains random Nazis, dead Santas, and furry fiends. You've been waiting long enough. Let's begin unwrapping the episode. Number one, Red Christmas, 2016, directed by Craig Anderson. An abortion clinic is bombed. A baby that was being aborted survives. 20 years pass. A family is celebrating Christmas. A strange cloaked man named Cletus shows up. He says he's the mom's son who she tried to abort. Cletus is kicked out of the house. Cletus then starts killing everyone. The mother who's impaled on one end of a two-sided anchor thing kills herself and Cletus after impaling him with the other end and jumping out a window. Only a newborn baby survives. Cletus, his extremist father, and his mother are the killers. Cletus's father was the bomber who killed doctors at the abortion clinic and saved Cletus. He wasn't Cletus's biological father. His mother, the mother in the film, shoots one of her sons. It's on accident, but she's still a killer. Crikey, is this one of the worst movies I've seen for this podcast? I thought about watching it for Christmas last year, but after seeing the trailer, I knew it would be bad, bad. Against my better judgment, I watched it this year because it was easily streamable. Do not watch Red Christmas. Don't do it. D. Wallace plays the mother. I thought that name was familiar. She also played Karen in The Howling. She's just as bad at acting now as she was back then. Go figure. If I had been doing something for decades, I'd hope I'd improve at it. Where do I even start with this landfill inferno? You know what? I'm going to start off on a positive note and talk about the kills in the movie. Even though it should be illegal to waste your time watching this movie, it does have some fun kills loosely sprinkled throughout to break up the otherwise dull and awfully acted continuous stream of bad decisions from the family. I'll fire off the kills. A guy gets his Johnson ripped off and then his face grounded down. A daughter gets literally chopped in half with an axe. A son-in-law gets an axe to the head. An uncle gets strangled. A sheriff ends up with a giant bear trap on his head. The priest's son-in-law ends up getting the back of his head pushed onto a turned-on blender. A daughter gets an umbrella through the head, which the movie Stitches does better. Another daughter gets stabbed. The mother shoots a son. And then there's the weird double-sided anchor impalement window jump thing. Most of the deaths are executed quite well and are hilarious. Practical effects are used. Props when it comes to the kills. I especially love the silliness of the girl cut clean in half and the blood that sprayed out of the priest's eyes while he was getting his brains blended. I also liked that there was a prominent character with Down Syndrome. That character was played by Gerard Audwire and he was great. 
Everything else in Red Christmas is garbage. The lighting, the camera work, the acting, the story, everything else is bad. Nothing makes sense. Why would the characters continuously split up? Why wouldn't they stick together? They have a shotgun. The uncle goes to get the car and dies. The mom then goes to the car. Why doesn't she just throw his dead body out and pick up the remaining family members? What even happened during the intro showing us the abortion clinic? Why do the kids have Australian accents? I think their dad was Australian and died, but I'm not sure. Following the actual plot and decision making is impossible. The voice they decided to go with for Cletus is one of the worst decisions in filmmaking history. It doesn't work at all. It's not scary or intimidating. It's not even creepy. It's just incredibly long-winded. It's like they told the actor playing Cletus to speak as slowly as possible to make sure the movie ended up being feature-length. After Cletus starts killing people, one of the characters goes into labor. Everyone knows that there's a killer at this point. The mother tells her daughter that's in labor, No, we can't go to the hospital now, it's too far. Oh really, Ma? We can't go to the hospital because it's too far? I thought we couldn't go because someone was literally trying to murder everyone. There's a part where Cletus is crawling up the side of the house. The mother sees this by looking out a window. The priest is near her with a shotgun. Instead of opening the window and having the priest take an easy kill shot at Cletus, the mother runs outside to try and pull down the lattice that Cletus is using to climb up the side of the house. I'll give you this Red Christmas. You taught me what a lattice is. A lattice is a structure consisting of strips of wood or metal crossed and fastened together with square or diamond-shaped spaces left between, used typically as a screen or fence, or as a support for climbing plants. In Red Christmas, it was supporting climbing plants. While the mother goes to pull down the lattice, she hides cell phones around the house, which she tells the priest to call one after the other. It's some sort of way to distract Cletus. I'm not even going to go into how stupid and pointless that idea is. There are two weird shots of feet in this movie, I guess the director thinks he's Tarantino. The sound design is awful. A shotgun that's used multiple times is accompanied by a sound that doesn't match the gun at all. Speaking of guns, the mother unloads a revolver at Cletus when she is three feet away from him and somehow misses every shot. Eventually Cletus takes off some wrapping that was around his head to reveal his horribly disfigured face. Thing is, the revealed head is much bigger than the head that was wrapped up. There's a scene in the movie where placenta is shown. The placenta was real. Why they decided to get real placenta when no one will ever even think that it's real without looking at the trivia for the movie, I don't know. After watching half of Red Christmas, I couldn't wait for it to be over. As soon as it ended, the director's name, Craig Anderson, popped up to take credit, and I said out loud, I wouldn't put my name on this. Do not watch Red Christmas. If you are looking for a movie that has a color than Christmas in the title, check out Black Christmas, the original. It's great. Also, there's a documentary about the making of Red Christmas called Horror Movie, A Low-Budget Nightmare, which looks a lot more fun to watch than the actual movie. Number 2, Elves, 1989, directed by Jeffrey Mandel. A girl named Kirsten accidentally cuts her hand in the forest while hanging out with her friends. Her blood gets on the ground and an elf crawls out. Kirsten's brother gets attacked by the elf, but the cat is blamed. Kirsten's mom drowns the cat. The elf starts killing. A guy named Mike, who used to be a detective, starts trying to figure things out. Nazis show up. They also start killing. Kirsten's friends are killed by the Nazis and the elf. 
It's revealed that the Nazis, which include Kirsten's grandfather, made the elf as part of their plan to create a master race slash the Antichrist. Kirsten's grandfather is also her father, and the master race Antichrist will be born once the elf has sex with Kirsten, who's a virgin. Mike dies trying to protect Kirsten. Kirsten destroys her grandfather's elf stone, which kills the elf before there's a chance for them to bang. The movie ends with snow falling and a shot of a weird elf fetus, which means Kirsten must have had some sort of immaculate conception with the elf. Kirsten's mother, the elf, and the Nazis are the killers. Whoa! Elves has a ton of twists and turns. First, elves are real. Then Nazis pop up. Grandfather is also the father. And elf sex will create the Antichrist? It's like a potluck where everyone brought random plot points instead of dishes. Pet warning. Wow. I just realized I haven't had to do this in quite some time. The mom kills the cat. It's one of the most sadistic things I've ever seen done to a pet in a horror movie. It's not graphic per se. The mom traps the cat in a pillowcase. She then drowns the cat by... Holding the pillowcase underwater in... Drumroll please. The toilet. What kind of psychopath would do that? Later in the movie, she proudly exclaims that she killed the cat multiple times. I know you ended up having to bear your dad's weird Nazi prophecy child, but that doesn't give you a pass when it comes to kitty killing. Yep, the grandfather is literally Kirsten's grandfather and father. Nazis are sick. Why this whole Nazi plot is included, I don't know. I think elves would have worked just as well if the Nazis were replaced by more murderous elves. In elves, the plural form of elf, there is only one elf. This movie came out way before Will Ferrell's elf, so I'm not sure why they didn't call it elf, since the movie contains a singular elf. Dan Haggerty plays Mike in this. He got famous for portraying Grizzly Adams. I'm not super familiar with Grizzly Adams, but remember the name being thrown around a lot when I was growing up. The character he plays in Elves named Mike basically talks out loud to himself to provide exposition for the audience and asks a bunch of questions. His delivery is completely off, which strangely makes him more endearing. Pretty much everyone's delivery throughout the entire movie is terrible, which makes most of the dialogue humorous. There's a professor character that leans heavily into your stereotypical professor. I loved his over-the-top performance. Kirsten's younger brother has crazy, vulgar lines. He peeps on her when she's naked and gets caught, which prompts this back and forth. Him. I like to see naked ladies. Her. I'm your effing sister. Him. Well, you got effing big vulgar word for breasts, and I'm going to tell everyone I saw them. Brief side note, you may have wondered why I censored that. This is a family-friendly horror podcast, of course. Little Timmy can hear all about brutal deaths and scenarios, but naughty language would be pushing things too far. Fun fact, Blank is the Killer has never received an explicit warning on iTunes. Blank is the Killer is for the children. Anyway, back to that exchange. Holy hell, that kid has insane behavioral issues. He drops another F-bomb after getting attacked by the elf. He says it was an effing little midget troll. Let's talk about the man of the movie, shall we? The elf. He's about two feet tall and a master with both knife and gun. During the climax of the movie, the elf shoots a Nazi with a Luger. Seeing the little devil with a gun in his hand was hilarious. His primary weapon of choice is a knife which he used to stab a pervert mall Santa in the genitals to death. He also uses the knife to kill one of Kirsten's friends. He doesn't have any pockets, so I guess he must have been walking around with a knife in his hand the whole time. 
One other weapon I almost forgot about was a plugged-in radio that he tosses into a bathtub the mom is bathing in. I wasn't able to find a great quality stream of elves, which wasn't a huge issue for the most part, but multiple times throughout the movie, we get elf POV, which ends up being potato vision. You can't see anything. Mr. Elf needs to visit an optometrist. In the beginning of Elves, Elf appears to be a hero who is attacking perverts. His first two victims are the brother and the Santa, both of whom were mega perverts toward Kirsten. The brother survives, unfortunately. The first third of the movie sets up the Elf to be a hero, a feminist hero even, but then he straight up murders one of Kirsten's besties. The actual Elf costume? I think it was someone in a costume for some shots and a puppet for others. The Elf looks pretty terrible. The facial features don't even move. The cheap-tastic design really helped heighten the comedic elements of every scene with the elf. Multiple times in the movie, the little elf does this weird backward shuffle that I found hilarious. The funniest scene of the whole movie is probably when Mike finds a loose bomb in his car. Instead of tossing it out the window, Mike bails out of the car. What? Why wouldn't you just toss the bomb? Maybe he wanted the people following him to think he died in the explosion, but they were tailing him. There's a good chance they would have just seen him jump out of the car. He's kind of like, ah, a bomb, instant bail. Another oddly funny scene is when Kirsten's wheelchair-bound grandpa slaps her after finding out she took one of his books to the forest. That shouldn't be funny, but it is because of the logistics. If someone in a wheelchair rolled up to you and tried to slap you in the face, I think you'd have an eternity to react to that kind of assault. You can't really surprise a standing person with a slap if you're starting the slap from a wheelchair. I also found it funny that the only way to destroy the elf was to destroy Dadpa's Geocrystal. They don't outright say it's a Geocrystal, but it obviously is. Elves is a bad movie that has its moments. Don't drop what you're doing to check this out, but if you're hanging with your friends with a large quantity of eggnog readily available, throw on elves. Number 3, Don't Open Till Christmas, 1984, directed by Edmund Purdom. A mass killer is murdering people who are dressed as Santa. Scotland Yard is on the case. One of the inspectors is named Ian Harris. He receives a present that says don't open till Christmas. The killer spares the life of one girl dressed as Santa, but kills other girls. The killer kidnaps a girl and is revealed to be Giles, who is Inspector Harris's brother. Giles was in a mental institution and recently released. The girl runs away and once cornered pushes Giles over a railing. She goes to check on his body, which fell multiple floors. Giles comes back to life and begins strangling her. We then get a flashback that shows Giles walked in on his dad, who was dressed as Santa, as the dad was cheating on the mom. Giles' mom then shows up and ends up dead after Santa dad knocks her down a flight of stairs. Inspector Harris opens the present, which says it's from his brother. It's a music box, which explodes and kills Harris. Giles and his dad are the killers. Since Giles hates Santa so much, how many does he kill? Ten. Ten Santas are killed on screen and don't open till Christmas. I apologize in advance for what's about to follow. For the first kill of Santa, Giles does the following, a simple gut stab. For the second kill of Santa, Giles does the following, a spear through the head. For the third kill of Santa, Giles does the following, strangles and face grill. For the fourth kill of Santa, Giles does the following, revolver brain removal. For the fifth kill of Santa, Giles does the following, nothing because it's a girl Santa with no ding-dong. For the sixth kill of Santa, Giles does the following, a neck shank. For the seventh kill of Santa, Giles does the following, another gut stab. For the eighth kill of Santa, Giles does the following, knife shoe kick punch combo. 
For the ninth kill of Santa, Giles does the following, a face stab. For the tenth kill of Santa, Giles does the following, plants a weird machete in the face. For the eleventh kill of Santa, Giles does the following, ding dong removal with a razor, a weird machete to the face, a face stab, knife shoe, kick punch combo, another gut stab, a neck shank, nothing, revolver brain removal, strangles then face grill, spear through the head, and a simple gut stab. I hope you listeners found that more amusing than annoying. If you hated it, at least I didn't do the repeat of every kill method after adding a new one like the original song does with the gifts. Also, I kinda hate myself for it, but sometimes you have to add a terrible Christmas Carol parody about Santa dying in the holiday episode of your horror movie podcast. Almost all the kills are hilarious due to how poorly acted everything is. During his first kill, Giles walks around a car in which a Santa is making out with a girl. They notice Giles and just keep going at it. It's weird. Also during this first kill, we get to see everything from Giles' POV as he breathes heavily a la Michael Myers. A decent percentage of the Santas that end up murdered are belligerent drunks. Is going out to pubs dressed as Santa a cultural thing in London? It's really weird that Giles doesn't kill the girl who's dressed as Santa. He murders other women during his rampage, so it's odd that he lets her live. It's like he gets confused because she's dressed as Santa but doesn't have a package, so he lets her go. I think he kills her later in the movie, which would actually make the Santa kill count 11. She's no longer dressed as Santa when he kills her though. Until the killer is revealed to be Giles, he wears a mask that looks oddly similar to the mask worn in another slasher, Alice Sweet Alice. The one in Don't Open Till Christmas is a man though. Both masks are the same style. The gore is pretty great throughout, the stabs spurt blood, and everything is practical. During the weird machete planted in the face kill, an eye even falls out. It's obviously an added on prosthetic that's not even round, but I enjoyed it. In the beginning of the movie, there's a boyfriend character that is set up to be a red herring. Giles shows up right after. Giles is obviously a possible suspect to be the killer, but he seemed like such an obvious choice that I thought he was another red herring. Strangely enough, we don't get a final girl, or even a final boy in this movie. The girl we follow throughout the first three-fourths of the movie ends up dead. After this, you assume that another girl that Giles kidnapped is going to be the final girl, but the last time we see her and Giles, Giles is in the act of strangling her to death. None of the inspectors survive. One is electrocuted and the other explodes at the very end of the movie. One thing I really liked in Don't Open Till Christmas was the title sequence. While names and the title are shown on the screen, you watch a creepy Santa melt on the left-hand side. Another cool thing in the movie is this weird chase through a place called the London Dungeon. I looked it up and the London Dungeon is real. It's a tourist attraction that has various recreations of gory and macabre historical events. I'd like to visit that place. Don't Open Till Christmas is a crappy horror exploitation film that is somewhat enjoyable. It's not anywhere close to being a good movie, but if you're throwing a Christmas party that other horror fans are coming to, it's a great background movie. Number 4, Await Further Instructions, 2018, directed by Johnny Kevorkian. Nick takes his girlfriend Angie, who's of Indian descent, home to meet his white family during Christmas after ghosting them for three years. Tensions are high due to a racist grandpa, awful dad, dumb pregnant sister Kate, and Kate's dumb husband Scott. Upon waking up early to leave, Nick and Angie realize the house has been encased in a strange material. 
The TV says to stay inside and await further instructions. The TV provides instructions, which the awful dad obeys without question. Grandpa ends up dying from an infection. The dad becomes more terrible than ever. Nick tries to figure things out while Angie is locked in a room per TV request. He messes with the TV, which leads to Kate alerting everyone, and Scott pushing her over a railing when trying to capture Nick. Kate's leg gets a compound fracture from the fall, and she dies after it gets infected. The mom is killed by weird smoke. Dad, crazier than ever, does more dumb stuff and eventually kills Scott before being taken out by Angie and Nick. Wire aliens have been behind everything. They kill Nick and Angie and melt Kate's body to reveal her baby is still alive. The wire alien hive mind then tells the baby to worship it. Scott, the dad, and the wire aliens are the killers. That's as short as I could make the summary while still including all the deaths that put killers on the list. Await further instructions started off strong. It then went a little too far off the rails. I should have known the movie would end up being rather terrible after seeing the decision to have the living room blasted by an awful looking green light from the TV, which made no sense. What was on the TV screen wasn't even that shade of green. That lighting choice looked incredibly cheap and was the movie's doomsayer. I think the biggest problem I had with the movie was how poorly the dad was written. He's so stupid. All he does is make stupid decisions and listen to whatever the TV tells him. He's supposed to have a background in management. His level of stupidity is unbelievable. When you make a character this dumb and evil, it really takes me out of the movie. I know that the easiest way to make someone a villain is to have them do terrible things, but that makes for a weak villain. I didn't sympathize with the dad on any level, even after they reveal he had an abusive childhood thanks to Grandpa. Angie is basically a doctor. What is the first thing she does when meeting Nick's mom? Angie sneezes into her hands like some kind of monster. Angie is medically trained and she sneezes into her hands multiple times throughout the movie. This is probably the most ridiculous thing in the film. Everyone knows you sneeze into your elbow, especially medical professionals. The grandpa is played by the same actor who played Filch in the Harry Potter movies. All he does is stir up trouble, which kind of made him an entertaining character. Unfortunately, he dies first. They should have made the dad more sympathetic and kept the grandpa alive longer to be the dumb, evil jerk character. A highlight of the movie is when grandpa scrubs himself with bleach. Why does he do that? The TV tells everyone to. No one questions that request. It's dumb. Grandpa's death is executed poorly. He does these weird fast head shakes that look painfully fake, then rouse some black liquid. Come to think of it, all the deaths are executed poorly. Kate dies from a broken leg infection. The broken leg with the bone sticking out looks good and all, but after being flung over the railing, Kate lands on her back. There's no way she could have broken her leg as it's shown. We see the mom's head explode through a frosted glass window, which looks fine, but it's accompanied by a really crappy sound effect you'd hear in an old video game. Dad buries a hatchet in Scott's shoulder, which somehow instantly kills him. I'm not sure why they didn't have him bury the hatchet in his head instead. Before Scott's death, he sticks his fingers in a slit in a weird wall, which closely resembles exactly what you think it does. The slit then shuts and keeps his digits. The effect is good and probably the best executed gore in the movie. The design for the wire aliens is laughably bad. I appreciate that practical effects were used for the wire aliens, but oh boy did the execution not work at all. As soon as the TV sprouted wire arms, 
I was laughing out loud and done taking a wait further instructions seriously at all. During one part of the movie, Nick tells the TV, you're not the boss of me. I found this funnier than I should have, but my favorite thing Nick does is taunt the wire aliens by saying they can't kill him and Angie because the wire aliens are parasitic and need them. The wire aliens then, you guessed it, kill Nick and Angie, almost instantly after Nick taunts them. It reminded me of that guy that said, what are you going to do, stab me, before being stabbed. There are a lot of other dumb things in this movie, like when the wire alien hive mind using text on another TV screen tells a newborn baby to worship it, because as we all know, babies pop out of the womb ready to read. But if I went over every dumb thing, I'd have to talk about this movie for way longer than any of us want me to. Don't bother with the wait further instructions. It's a crappier version of Saw 2. Number 5, Puka, 2018, directed by Nacho Vigalando. An out-of-work actor named Wilson becomes the mascot for a toy called Puka. He has a friendly neighbor named Red and starts trying to court a woman named Melanie who has a son named Ty. Wilson starts losing time. He's living events in a strange order. A Puka with fire eyes appears to be destroying everything. Wilson kills the fire-eyed Puka. It's revealed that Wilson was married to Melanie, and Ty is his actual son. He was a real monster who ended up killing his wife and son after driving recklessly and running into Red, who may have been drinking and co-creator of the fatal crash. Melanie, Ty, Red, and Red's daughter die in the crash. Wilson is insane, and everything was in his head. Wilson and Red are the killers. It's implied that Red was drunk driving. This is Hulu's third Into the Dark movie. Let's start off by talking about what a puka is. Pukas come from Celtic folklore. They are furry little shapeshifters that can bring good or bad fortune. They look kind of like the creature in that terrifying Taily Poe kids book. Y'all remember that? That story where a man eats a creature's tail, the creature finds him, and then rips the man to shreds? Why was that a kids book? The thing terrified me. If you want to look it up, it's spelled tail and then Y-P-O, Taily Poe. Wikipedia says one of the versions of that story includes sodomy. Jeez. Back to Puka, one of my least favorite ending twists is the classic, it was all in the protagonist's head. There is a lot of alluding to this being the fact, but it doesn't make it feel any less cheap to me. I'm not the biggest fan of unreliable narrators. Someone online brought up that Puka's face resembles a car, which I didn't realize. There are a bunch of nice touches like that, especially with the instances of red and blue lighting. Even though we get these hints, I still think Puka is mostly a jumbled mess. It's hard to sympathize with Wilson. If I ever start losing time like he does, I would go to a hospital ASAP. Nyasha Hatendi plays Wilson, and I want to say I liked his performance. Since he's supposed to be crazy, I'm pretty sure, all of his over-the-top acting actually works. If he wasn't supposed to be a lunatic, his acting would be pretty bad, especially when his voice completely changes when he gets mad. When he gets mad and yells, he sounds a little British, which is weird since he was born in the US. He plays an insane man incredibly well, and even goes into full Nicolas Cage mode at times, which is hilarious. One of the Cage instances comes after a dad, who repeatedly shows up in the movie, beats up Wilson, who's wearing the puka suit, the dad's kids then steal the puka head, which Wilson screams after them, That's me! There's another great cage-esque outbreak when Fire Eyes Puka rips up the picture of Melanie and Ty. Pretty much all of the scenes, including Fire Eyes Puka, made me laugh. 
I don't think they were supposed to be comedic, but they definitely are. Fire Eyes Puka is basically an omnipotent deity and our glorious leader. There's a scene where a kid non-believer is punished for not worshipping his pukaness. Fire Eyes Puka is my favorite character in the movie. Wilson is only able to kill Fire Eyes Puka's mortal form with an axe. Wilson can't kill his influence. The gore shown after Fire Eyes Puka takes an axe to the stomach looks pretty good. Blood gushes everywhere out of the wound. There isn't much other gore in the movie. There are some bloody knuckles from Wilson punching a wall that don't look right. Red and Wilson have some cuts on their faces post-crash, which look okay, but not nearly as good as the wounds in Vigalondo's other film, Time Crimes, that I covered last episode. Yeah, the guy who made a very cohesive time travel movie went on to direct this jumbled mess. He didn't write Puka, though. It probably would have been a lot better if he had. The soundtrack and overall sound design are fine for the most part. There is a part early on when we don't know if Puka and Wilson are one and the same. Wilson then sees Puka who starts coming at him. This is creepy enough by itself, but made a lot less creepy when the addition of a crappy jump scare sound effect is applied. The unnecessary sound turned a spooky scene into a groan inducing one. Speaking of groan inducing, Puka has one of the most heinous inclusions of a meme I have ever seen in a movie. Remember that news clip where the kid says, I like turtles? Well in Puka, kids line up to meet mascot Puka. One kid walks up to mascot Puka and says, I like turtles, which isn't funny in the least. The kid then repeats, I like turtles, a second, then third, and finally, a fourth time. Needless to say, it was a painful scene. Gerald Olson wrote Puka, Gerald, please tell me the kid was doing some terrible improv and you didn't write the turtles line into the movie four times on purpose. I love the design of Puka and his amazing song that's played throughout the movie. Everything else is mediocre and kind of a mess. I'd say pass on Puka. So Far Into the Dark is one for three. Not a great track record, but I'll continue watching these for now. Number six, Sleigh Bells, 2018, directed by Spooky Dan Walker. Three girls, Alexi, Dahlia, and Sadie, explore a place called Santa Land, meet Santa, and fight Krampus. Krampus has been killing kids in order to make hairball monsters that Cherry, ex-Mrs. Claus, is going to spread all over the world. Krampus and Santa are linked. Alexi chops off Santa's head as a last resort to kill Krampus and save the world. Krampus and Cherry are the killers. Cherry was using Krampus, so even though she doesn't kill anyone on screen, she was part of the whole murderous master plan. I'm not counting Alexi for killing Santa, since Santa knew it must be done to save the world. To no one's surprise, this movie is bad. I don't even know why I decided to watch Sleigh Bells. Luckily, even though Sleigh Bells is terrible and you should not waste your time watching it, one person's performance is fantastic and helped me get through the movie. By far the best actor, and only person whose acting isn't awful, is Barry Bostwick. He was in a little movie back in the day that you may have heard of. The movie that he played a starring role in back in 1975 hasn't left theaters since it was released. Barry Boswick played Brad Majors in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. His performance as Santa is the only redeeming thing in Sleigh Bells. He's hilarious and steals every scene he's in. I almost want to recommend the movie solely due to how fantastic he is in this. Almost. Let me be clear, even though Barry Bostwick is a delight, the rest of this movie is a terrible slog. 
There are no decent kills. Most of the kills in the movie are completely terrible and hard to see. For a bunch of them, you get this awful Krampus POV that's choppy and all over the place. I do appreciate the emphasis on practical effects. The Krampus suit is decent. I would have liked it a bit more if the mouth actually moved. There are multiple scenes where hearts are supposed to be ripped out, but the execution for most of the heart removal scenes is terrible. During one kill, the girls get covered in blood, which looks great. There are these dumb little hairballs with teeth that are practical and fun, even though they don't really get any good screen time. The movie looks decent during the day shots, even though everything is shaky, but once nighttime rolls around, it's almost impossible to see what's going on. This movie may have the worst soundtrack of any movie released in 2018. The soundtrack prominently features dubstep. At first, I thought the inclusion of dubstep was supposed to be tongue-in-cheek, but then it kept popping up, over and over again. The wubs never stopped. They also never fit what was happening. It blows my mind that a movie that was just released in 2018 genuinely has dubstep in the soundtrack. Another instance of a terrible decision when it comes to sound design is adding in the sound of a shotgun pumping when the only gun in the movie is a handgun. Not sure why the pump sound was added. Maybe the dubstep and incorrect sound effects were supposed to be funny, but it all seems sincere. Remember that old YouTuber Hannah Minx? Me either. I don't think I ever saw any of her content. She's in Sleigh Bells. She plays Sadie. Yes, her acting is bad. In the movie, two of the girls have a YouTube channel called Adventure Girls. There are multiple parts in the movie where they live stream commercials for their show from a handheld camcorder that definitely isn't connected to the internet. These scenes appear to be in the movie just to kill time since they are unnecessary and the runtime is barely over an hour. I'm sorry to say Sleigh Bells is a pass since the episode hasn't included any strong holiday horror recommendations. The next episode will cover more holiday horror, but it's going to be released after Christmas, so here are some strong holiday horror recommendations. Black Christmas, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Christmas Evil. Number 7. Sabrina Winter Eleganza Extravaganza So Netflix just released the Winter Solstice episode of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. To make it clear, it's a Winter Solstice episode, not a Christmas episode, Witches don't celebrate Christmas. It's been a decent amount of time since I completed my watch through of the first season. I forgot how bad and cheeseball this show can be. Right off the bat, the chilling adventures of Sabrina reminded me that some idiot made the terrible decision to purposefully blur shots for no reason. I've seen people defend this by saying it's only blurry when magic is used, which isn't true in the least. I'm hoping that season 2 will be devoid of any intentional blurriness but I'm not getting my hopes up. I forgot how dumb everyone in this show is besides the weird sisters in Zelda. Luckily we get a decent helping of them. Why do they decide to make Hilda orange? I get that her makeup is supposed to be ridiculously overdone which is fine. They didn't have to make her an Oompa Loompa though. People that are overly orange just look stupid. Zelda is great in this episode per usual. She is the smartest character and the only one that doesn't make me constantly groan. A plot point of the episode is a Yule log that must burn for a certain period of time to protect the house. I was sure that Sabrina was going to put it out because she's a selfish moron, but to my surprise, Lady Satan uses magic to put out the Yule log instead. Sabrina does selfishly do a seance during what we're told is one of the worst times of the year to do them, 
but compared to all the other stupid things she's done so far, the seance doesn't seem that bad. I thought Sabrina would be a little better when it comes to decision making after signing her name in the Book of the Beast, but she seems the same. A cool witch named Gryla makes an appearance in this episode. I'd like to see some more witches pop up during the next season. I found Gryla to be much more interesting than Sabrina. The show should be the chilling adventures of Gryla or Zelda. Harvey is still boring and terrible. Sabrina talks to her mom's ghost, which basically tells her to stop chasing Harvey, so here's hoping we don't have to waste too much time on him in Season 2. The episode ends with three demon characters that look like the White Walker King dudes in Game of Thrones, so fingers crossed for a gory crossover. If you enjoyed watching the first season of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, this is more of the same. Episode 34 is now nestled safely under your tree. I am starting to get tired of the holiday horror, but I will press on for you beautiful listeners. Hopefully I'll watch some winners for next episode. If you enjoyed this episode of Blank is the Killer and have an iPhone, pull it out and launch the terrible pre-installed podcast app, search for Blank is the Killer, leave a rating and or review. All I want for Christmas are more ratings. As always, big thanks to Sticker Fridge for hosting the podcast on their website, allowing it to seep into your minds. Go check out another show on the network. Go on. Episode 35 will be out on December 30th. It'll be stuffed with more holiday horror. Bundle up, stay warm, and watch your back if you plan on being drunk in public while wearing a Santa suit this time of year.